We have teamed up with 500 Startups' CVC Insider Series, where top CVC practitioners offer advice and best practices regarding common challenges encountered within corporate venturing. Featured this week is an interview with Yvonne Lutch of Bosch Venture Capital and Nicolas Sauvage of TDK Ventures. Thank you, 500 Startup. I think it's a really nice initiative to help raise a bar inside the corporate venturing. Uh, today is going to be special because we have Yvonne Lutz from uh, Bosch Ventures. I have known her for a while and yet we haven't co-invested yet. So this is not uh, yet a partner in terms of corporate venturing, but hopefully very soon. And uh, she has a very interesting journey that I think uh, is good to uh, know about, but also how they do investments, how they are thinking about investments, how they bring this knowledge back to the mothership. So. I think it will be a good uh, session today. Yvonne, would you like to take five, 10 minutes to introduce yourself and your personal journey? Yeah, thank you, Nicola. Thank you, first of all, for, for having me here, for inviting me to this um, exceptional um, opportunity to, to talk about venture capital and also to talk about you know, our strategy. So, I mean, we talked about it. There's not the one classical way to go into corporate VC. There are many different ones. So my journey actually is um, is probably for some corporate venture capitals a more typical one. So I started with a corporation. So I started with Bosch, Robert Bosch, back in Germany more than 18 years ago. Um, very long time ago, um, I started as an engineer in the semiconductor fab. Um, I became a group leader there and I went to engineering, um, got another leadership position there. Um, and then I joined one of Bosch's internal startups um, called Bosch SensorTech. And Nicola knows Bosch SensorTech because of his own history. Very interesting because we were like arch enemies, at least in the marketplace. Um, and with Bosch SensorTech, this was very interesting because this felt almost like a startup within the corporation. So we were a separate legal entity. I was employee number 58, so we were still counting. Um, and we had our Monday meeting, like probably in, in other startups as well, where our CFO gave us all the details of financial numbers, um, how many sensors we sold, where are the problems, where are the new customers. And I always told my colleagues, you could wake up anybody of us in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., and we all could tell the current revenue and the number of sensors we sold. And this was very intriguing for me and actually also a little bit life changing before before I was more in a classical engineering role or in a plant role where you see only, you know, the, the small picture, you don't see the, the big picture, you don't see what is your real contribution. And within Barcenza Tech, since this was very startup like um, you got this insights and I got really interested in understanding more, learning more and not being in my engineering hole. Um, after that, um, I got the opportunity to go to US, um, to Silicon Valley, to start up a innovation team here to, um, to help um, one of our big um, divisions called automotive electronics, but it's not also automotive, but also consumer electronics, including the sensor business where I was in before, to help this organization to leverage Silicon Valley. 
whatever this means. I mean, Silicon Valley, it's about startups, it's about innovation, it's about disruption, but Silicon Valley is also about cooperation. There is no other, I think, I mean, I'm of course totally biased. I think there is no other place on earth where you can bump in and talk so easily, even with COVID, to people from like your arch enemy organization, like Nicola, right? Or people from BMW, right? I mean, how could it you one talk to an OEM? This is like in Germany, this is like, this is the, you know, the executives probably, but the, you know, people like us, it's, it's a no, it's a no, no. So I was completely blown away about the opportunities you can build with, with other corporations, relationships, you can build relationships with um, customers, with suppliers on a very like creative level um, to create new innovation. And also with the help of startups who do this like in an incredibly fast pace, right? And that's why, you know, that's why, you know, many corporations came to the conclusion, it's actually a very critical and crucial thing to work with startups and to, to leverage their innovation pace and also help them on the other hand with all the knowledge, the experience we have from the corporation side. So after starting this innovation hub here, I figured out what venture capital is about. And I was like, okay, venture capital, that's the top, right? That's even, I don't know why I, I felt like that. I cannot really explain, but I was like, okay, I have to figure out how to become a venture capitalist. And then, you know, sometimes you're just getting lucky um, as it is. Um, they opened, so the, the Robert Bosch Venture Capital Office was here already for 10 years and they opened up one new position. And of course I fought for it, I applied for it and I got it. And I, yeah, this was the lucky part of it. And I think I was also uniquely like um, capable of, of doing this because they wanted to hire someone with the the network and the history within the corporation within Bosch but they also wanted someone who can talk startup like the language who has the right attitude not to scare them away to to build bridges um, and I was completely blown away and that's how I ended up three years ago in corporate venture capital very nice thank you Ivan yeah. I, I really like how candid you are about your journey this is really really nice so you've mentioned twice the word enemy, so I guess I have to ask, but do you think that uh, two companies can be competitors, their mothership are competitors, but their corporate venture arm could decide to partner and co-invest? So you're talking about a topic, actually, this was, you know, this is not pre, um, how to say, we, we, we didn't agree on this before. I cannot talk about it and you don't know about it because we will have the press announcement next week where we actually invest together with one of our big competitors. Um, and, and Congratulations. Also, so, yeah, so I think the, the money is currently on the transfer from Germany to US, so I'm, I'm completely excited. And, and yes, we always said this, but one thing is saying this and the other thing is doing it. Um, and actually, yes, I think that's a, that's a great opportunity. I mean, I will tell you in five years how this worked out. So I'm very, very curious and excited about it. But I think it's a great opportunity to... Um, there are several positive things about it. One thing is, if there is one more than one corporate 
even with a similar or very, very similar like um, business goal with a startup, if there are more than one in the deal, this makes it much more attractive also for the, for the financial VCs. And we can talk about this as well, right? Yep. Um, because if there is only one corporate um, and, and other financial VCs, then there is the risk, at least, at, at least in theory, that people think this one corporate influences the startup too much in their, in their direction and don't give them room for other opportunities or this, this one corporate, you know, gives them kind of the specification and they develop a product only to their spec, but not to the broader market. Or um, there might be, I mean, and that's, potent, that's potentially possible. We are not doing this, that the corporate has some terms in the deal which are prohibitive for or less making the deal less attractive for, for future investors, right? So, but if there is more than one, then they have to agree on something already, right? And, and this is something I'm really, really looking forward to it. I hope this creates competition. And, and competition is a very strong um, power to enable Especially for the startup for the startup and for the both corporations like who works better with them who brings the product um, you know earlier to the market so I'm, I'm very very excited about that um, and yeah it's, and you know I'm, I'm going to the next topic because this is so prominent for me institutional VCs and CVCs right what is better is it better to have venture to, to have many strategic VCs in a round or to have only one or like in this deal, there are several strategic VCs in the deal, but also also financial VCs. Um, and I think that in principle, that's the best mixture. Um, and the good like syndicate, that's a technical term, is always important because in many cases, there is the next round, right? There is a new funding round. There is more needs for money and you have to keep yourself with the startup attractive for further rounds. You have to be prepared for that. And I think that's very important. And having a, a syndicate syndicate of, of good names in, in the financial world, but also proven names or, or very good upcoming VCs like you in, in, the, in the strategic world, having this as a combination, I think that's, that's the best you can do. And so I, I agree on the mix of syndicate between financial VCs and corporate VCs. What's your view when it's only a syndicate of corporate VCs? Yeah, that can be really tricky. And I think, I mean, and I think it depends also on who are the corporate VCs because there is corporate VC and corporate VC. I just told you that we had a webinar last week about only about the different flavors of corporate venture capital. Um, if the venture capitals are, you know, the, the experienced ones, the one with also, also very strong financial goals, this can be, this can work. Actually, I have an example. Uh, my very first investment was in a, in a startup called Sintient in Southern California. And it was basically only corporate VCs, but it was Intel, Microsoft, M12, Motorola, Amazon Alexa. And us. Um, who did I forget? Maybe I forgot someone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I mean, we had, you know, we had like the nameplate of 
I think so, bragging only a little bit, of, of corporate VCs. Um, and this was very well received. Um, and in the next round, even financial VCs wanted to come in because they, they, they recognized the strong syndicate of corporate VCs. It can be different, I think, in cases where very, and I'm, I'm not too much a fan of very, very, very strategic VCs who invest for only for strategic reason and don't know how venture capital works. This can be risky. Um, and then I think it's, it's, it's maybe dangerous to rely too much on strategic VCs. And as long as you have also financial VCs in the round, then you just have a better balance. So normally it's more balanced, but there can be good examples where it actually worked out um, with a very strong syndicate of very good strategic VCs. Yeah. I think when you mention Intel Capital, they are very good at leading rounds and pricing the round. Yeah. I think the most dangerous corporate VCs are the ones that are very strategic. I forgot applied materials. Sorry, I have to mention them. Other one, otherwise, Michael will, will kill me. I forgot applied. <laughs> Actually, today, I, I, uh, we just announced our investment number 12, and it's our second investment with Applied Ventures. So they are really, really good partners. Yeah, yeah. And so I was talking about Intel Capital because, and we also co-invested uh, with Intel Capital. They are very good on the financial discipline and pricing around. I think the most dangerous corporate VCs are the ones that do it for strategic only, let's say, and they want to lead. That could be very dangerous because they don't care about the price of the round. And then that makes it very, very hard for the next round. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and there's this, and, and I heard this like two years ago and I was, I was actually shocked. I was at a VC entrepreneur, you know, some mingle, whatever event. And some of the entrepreneurs were pretty negative about corporate venture capital. And they were calling not not me in person, but they were talking about dumb money. And I was like, what the heck are they talking about? So the perception is we cannot price rounds. We make the rounds too large, not too large. We set the price too high because we are used to corporate M&A. And then I, I mean, corporate M&A, 500 um, million is like a bargain, right? Um, so, but it's, I think we are not that, um, and I, I'm very certain that TDK Ventures is not there. Um, so we are, I think, and, and Intel Capital and all the others you mentioned are very cautious about the right price. Um, and, and as you also mentioned, you know, being on the board or not on the board. So that's very interesting because the corp company I'm not, cannot talk about, um, but we are currently wiring the money. Um, Actually, so there was us and there was this other large corporate VC interested in the in, to invest. And um, so the company, the startup actually came to us and were like, why don't you co-lead? Also to balance the power. Yeah. And, and I was, this was the first time that I had to kind of refuse to lead and refuse the board seat because I, I was... I, I told them we want to, the best for the startup. That's our goal as a VC, right? We, at the end, we have to, to do and to think the best for the startup at, because at the end, it's also our you know, positive outcome in terms of 
um, yeah. ROI. And I told the I told the startup, well, I don't think it's a good idea that this other corporation and us we co-lead the round. I think you should go and look for a very credible financial VC. The two corporations or the two strategic VCs come in as co-investors and we both get observer rights. But, you know, if there's a very tough board decision to make, you can, you know, send us politely out of the room and you make your board decision without us. Um, That's a very good I, proof point. You care about the entrepreneur. I told them to do that. Right? It feels weird because normally, of course, we want to have as much control as possible. We want to have board seats. We want to, because we, and I think we also are good, we are a good board director as well. We have other boards where we are directors. Um, but in this particular case, I told them do otherwise and they did. So they came big, they came back with a very credible financial lead. And then we said, okay, good. So now we are coming in and this other corporate as well. Yeah, no, I think it's very good that you focus on the entrepreneurs and their success. And at the end, when this entrepreneur will be asked about what do you think about Bosch Ventures, about Yvonne, he will say, she gave me the advice that made sense for me. So I yeah. think that's really, really good, uh, good setup. Do you have um, other examples where you really focus on the entrepreneurs, which is not necessarily what, what's best for your mothership? I don't I don't recall any particular example, but generally speaking, um, and this also this is probably also interesting for some of the people listening to this. Um, what is our you know our investment thesis and how strategic are we? So basically we are like a financial VC, but we need a strategic fit to the corporation. And since Bosch has also a very, very strong internal innovation team, like we have corporate research and they do nothing else than innovate on a daily basis. And we have all these experts there. We would be stupid not to ask them if we see an interesting startup, we, are, we will be stupid not to ask them what they think um, or, or the business units, right? But sometimes the startups are too early for the business units, or it's like a little bit of not invented here to the corporation, to, to, the, to the corporate research people. But we still think after listening to the Bosch people, it's still worth an investment. Then we do the investment. And we do the investment because we believe in the team, in the entrepreneurs. We, be we believe in the product, product and the market. But probably in the journey, throughout the journey, the startup pivots. And then it's going like in a different direction and it's not very useful for the corporation anymore. But since we are, you know, our, our mandate is to work with the startup and to support the startup, this is like bad luck kind of. Right, because then we probably cannot help them as much as we wanted in the beginning to work with Bosch, but we are still there and we want to work with them and we can introduce them maybe to our competition, right? Because you have all the contacts, right? Or or work with them on a different strategy. And and that's where yeah, we help, you know, much beyond the, the corporation and the strategic fit. 
Actually, I like the way you just described Bosch Ventures. You said we are a financial VC looking for a strategic fit. Many CVCs would say we are a strategic VC looking for financial returns. So it's very <laughs> interesting the way you positioned it. And tiny, tiny difference, right? It, it, no, words matter a lot. And the fact that you say we are a financial VC, I'm assuming, but maybe you can walk us through that. How do you look at investments opportunities? Do you first look at, is it going to be a type of VC type returns, really good returns if everything goes well? Or do you always have the filter of, wait, is it in our financial strategic fit first? So I would, I, I think the very, very first filter is whether this has some value, some fit for Bosch, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a very like, very coarse sieve, is, I think is the right name, right? Um, so it's in the very, very beginning of the tunnel, of the funnel. Um, and, and this is also reflected in our internal process, actually. So we discuss the strategic fit with our advisory board, which is Bosch people, but it's an advisory board. It's not the board of management. It's only advisory. Um, and then the rest of all decisions and the milestones we are reaching to, to come to an investment is done within Robert Bosch Venture Capital ourselves. And then it's all about, is this the right team? the right product, the right market, the right time, the right financials, the right, the right um, other investors to make this a financial success. Then, that's, then how we, that's how we work. That makes a lot of sense. And I will go back to the advisory versus investment committee, but I wanted to make one point. You talked about dumb money. And I think there's so much opportunity for corporate VCs to be the smart money, the capital plus plus. And that's why we do, we do this biweekly series with 500 startups is we feel like by just getting practitioners to share their best practices, we will raise a bar. Um, can you talk about this advisory board? Is it a mandatory step? What happens if they are negative? What happens if they are positive? Is it, um, and why, why I'm asking that is I understand that if they are negative, it doesn't mean you can't continue. But if they are positive, does that give a strong signal that you should really look into it? Or how, how do you work it out? Um, yeah, good question. So first of all, it's a mandatory step. Um, but we don't anticipate this to be a burden. So it's more an opportunity. Um, the whole Bosch Venture Capital team, I think, has a very strong sense what actually is a strategic fit or not. Um, and, and this advisory board, as I said, so we have a regular meeting with them and we, we pitch them many, many companies where we think this is worth a second look and they kind of confirm the strategic fit in theory, they have a veto right. And to say, this is not strategic, I think in 13 years and presenting them, I don't know, a thousand companies. I have, I, I didn't count. They did it once. Um, and I think it was also okay. So it's like almost, you know, this is almost non-existing. Um, and I think it, this is because uh, of two reasons, because we have a very good internal filter. Um, it's actually three reasons. The second reason is Bosch is very broad. So you, you really can find a strategic fit. And the third thing is also that the advisory board acknowledges and values that we are, that our 
task is to look out of outside of the box and look onto the fringes of what is Bosch and what is not Bosch, right? That's what we are also what we are there for, to, to, to see, to look into areas where Bosch is not, not there yet or not strong yet, or Bosch is like exploratory or has just some, is curious about an area, right? And, and then we can help them to get more knowledge in that area because we invest. So it's, it's, I think it's a very good um, relationship with them. And, um, and so, yes, they are only the advisory board. And after that, so the investment committee is, it's us, it's the partners in our venture team. So okay. it's our own decision. So, so in a way, this advisory board is, is a value add to your process. Yeah. You get a chance to actually even walk through your own thinking about an investment opportunity. Yeah. Can you walk us through? I mean, I'm sure it was there before you joined, but how is how are the people chosen? How many of them? Um, do you always invite all of them or do you invite them depending on what you're going to present? Do you mean the advisory board? Yes, advisory board. Um, it's... Um... It's both. It's actually a, 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 a dedicated set of, you know, corporate level executives like corporate strategy or corporate corporate finance. Um, but there is also one like a rotational assignment, which is different business units or different divisions within Bosch. So this is kind of rotating in and out. Um, and I think it's a great opportunity for us to get closer to that division, or it's also an opportunity for that division to get closer to, to RBVC, to our venture group. Um, so it's changing a little bit, but not that much. I see. And how many of them in the advisory board? Um, six. Okay. So it's still a, a, a small size enough to have a really good dialogue. Yeah, 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 totally. And and as you and as you mentioned, you know, they, they also help because, and I, I can talk about for hours about you know how broad Bosch at the end is, you know, and what focus areas we are. It's very difficult to say in what areas we invest. It's more easy to say in what what areas we don't. Um, and sometimes the advisory board even helps us with, you know, did you talk to this and this person and this and this division? And we are like oh, well, they might be also interested because several of our portfolio companies or the companies we are looking in are interesting for more than one division. Because if it's core technology like connectivity or sensors, this can be interesting for, for an autonomous vehicle. This can be interesting for an autonomous robot in your home or I don't know. So this can be very broad. So I'm going to make it tough because you said it's very difficult to answer the question where you invest. Bosch is very famous for automotive, clearly, but what are the areas that Bosch Ventures is interested to invest in 2021? That's a tough one. Yeah. Um, so we rather, we rather, I think we rather like to look into core technologies, as I said, which are applicable for more than one division, right? Um, and that's then more in terms of, you know, how to like next generation computing, how to help Bosch and the world in a bigger sense to get to get most out of all the data produced. Um, and 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 so and there are two things. There's one, the analytics to 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 bring the best out of the data, but also the compute itself to um, 
to make all these gigantic neural networks running, for example, or to do this on the edge. Um, and then, you know, edge can be, you know, a, a, a screwdriver, not a screwdriver, a drill can be an edge device. Um, a car can be an edge device. Um, a dishwasher at the end um, or wearables. So analytics, compute, interfaces, sensors, connectivity, and you cannot say not AI, so you have to say AI. Um, this is, these are all, you know, the very, very interesting fields. And then we see once in a while, like also verticals, like coming and growing. Um, so last year, I think we did like two or three deals in the smart construction space because we saw that the construction space is prone to digital disruption. Um, in, the, in the automotive space, this is already ongoing for a while. Um, we still see enterprise, um, you know, robot process automation, um, cloud, whatever, you know, helps people to better utilize cloud computing, cloud storage, whatever. It's still a very big topic. And then, of course, we're also thinking, you know, 5G, what are the implications? What are the, the opportunities in terms of new applications, but also what is still needed to, to make this a game changer? Um, that's another interesting field. And I'm certain I forgot how of it, but this gives yeah, you a little bit of picture. So it's interesting you mentioned that we have to mention AI. The way we see it is that AI is a building block now, and it's uh, it's likely to be always needed. So we don't even mention AI. We think it's part of what you're going to have as part of a total solution. So hopefully we don't need to keep saying AI when it's just part of a solution. Um, I want to talk about how the pandemic has changed things for what is very high touch um, uh, ecosystem. Clearly, you can't meet face to face. You have to use these video calls. How, what do you think are the positives that came out of these uh, new constraints? Actually, many, many positive things. Um, and I, I did my own, like, you know, summary already middle of last year, you know, because in the beginning, everyone was like shocked and people were talking like, we cannot meet the startups face to face, so we cannot invest. And then after two, three months, when people realized this is not going away in, in another two months, people had to change, right? And everything went digital. Um, what I actually realized pretty fast and what I really liked is, and it's a kind of controversy to what I said before, you know, Silicon Valley is such a unique place because you meet so many people here and you bump into people like, serendipitously, what I realized is with everyone digital, you also democratized the opportunities for startups, not being in Silicon Valley, but somewhere else on this planet and having a webcam and able to speak English um, because, I mean, because that's our language, right? Um, or, or also other VCs who are not in Silicon Valley to dip into the bigger chances. Um, we could participate in pitch sessions, pitch days organized at some universities in wherever we would never consider to fly to, um, but now we could, um, we could get that deal flow, right? 
So there were, so democratization of the whole, you know, exchanging deals, information, I think um, is a very positive thing. Um, and I mean, also the meetings kind of, you know, they changed. On the one hand, yes, it's still important and it's still not important. I think it, it gives us more certainty to meet people in person. On the other hand, um, there is much, much more um, to get to know people. For example, talking to someone not only once, not only twice, but talking to this person more often in different settings, in the morning, in the evening, over the weekend, and with Zoom and with phone and FaceTime or whatever, we were able to do this. And we were able to connect to the, to the entrepreneurs even more because we had more time to talk. And we probably even had time to talk over, you know, what did you do on the weekend? And why is this cat always running through the picture? And um, kids are screaming in the background. And it's sometimes even more personal. Um, because you meet the people in a different setting at home, right? Um, so this also gives the whole thing a different twist. I agree that I think it's giving more opportunities to people who may not have access to the right geography. Um, I want to get your take about um, how it's helping maybe women reach out more easily to VCs or CVCs and whether the dynamics is different. I've, yeah, that's, <laughs> I thought about it a little, little bit. I think the dynamic is a little bit different because, and someone told me that, and, and then I realized, I mean, and I, and I don't want to play this, you know, women are not strong enough and men are always like overpowering. I don't want to get into this, but sometimes if I was in a room, like physically in a room in a board meeting with 20 men, And me, I feel intimidated, probably. If I am on a Zoom call, also there, it feels more democratic. Um, cutting of people digitally is also more democratic. It just happens, and sometimes it just happens because of this stupid delay, because you know your signals are going three times around the globe. Um, But it's also, it's easier for me to cut off people. <laughs> you know, the ones who are always cutting off you, of course, only them. Um, so it, 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 it's, it's an interesting dynamic, but I feel like, for me, I feel like a little bit it's easier. I, I cannot really explain why, but I feel it like this. And, and if other people, if other women feel like that, that even if they feel like this stronger or more confident, I think this helps a lot because, you know, we know this is a topic that many women still lack, you know, the confidence some men have. And it's always helpful to get this. Any little help is really a positive. Very good. So I, so let me touch on something that's maybe um, linked or not. I don't know. Uh, but in your personal journey introduction, you talked about the fact you fought for that position and you use the word fighting. So can you share a little tips about how you, did you manage to get this role? Clearly, you had the right profile, you were in the right place, you already understood startups, you understood the mothership, but is there some tips about how you managed to convince you were the right person? 
I don't know exactly. Maybe I should have asked, you know, my colleagues at the end why they chose me. And I think I never did. Um, I, there was one situation I remember where, um, you know, I had like my local boss, but we also had the, the managing directors in Germany who wanted to, 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 to meet me and wanted to, to see how, how I think, what I did, and also what I accomplished, you know. And if you know what the people on, on the other side of the table really want to know and want to see, if you know that, then you can prepare yourself. So this one person was very driven by what are your successes? And then I realized, well, I don't have a good like out of my drawer thing, like here are my success stories. So I created it overnight and I sent it to him after the interview. I cannot tell you whether this helped or not because I never asked him about it, but I think it was for sure not, not a mistake to do that. So no, understanding, really understanding what the counterpart is, what is important to this person, whether it's your personal strengths or whether it's your accomplishments in, you know, in your last position, whatever. And, and I was thinking about that and I tried to deliver exactly what they wanted to, to see, to feel confident, to hire me, right? Because I have to give them the confidence that I'm the right person. I think... What you did was really good. And I, and the way I look at interviews is that it's on your snapshot. Everything that happens afterwards proactively really matter. So you sending this kind of list so that you know they wanted to know, mm -hmm. that's golden nugget for anyone who's really wanting to go into a, a new role and especially in corporate venturing where there is so much, so much demand. Yeah. Um, very nice. Now, you're based in Silicon Valley. You moved there because it was a Silicon Valley. I understand that you have a geographical a scope. Mm -hmm. How much of what you invest or where you invest is actually with a bias of Silicon Valley versus, let's say, the full USA? I think Silicon Valley is important, you know, also to, 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 to talk to random people, as I mentioned, right? Um, But we also know that there are very, very good universities, very good startups, very good, you know, research facilities all over US and also Canada. So our mandate is North America. That also includes Canada. And we have some portfolio companies there. Um, so long story short, Silicon Valley plays a role. But if it comes to, you know, to specific areas uh, where, for example, AI like Waterloo, um, close to Toronto, Canada, that's, you know, that's like a spot where people just know that this is a great space, great spot where people get a very, very good education. Um, and I also invested in a corporate, uh, in, a corporate in a startup in, um, in Cambridge. I think now their office is in Boston, but they started in Cambridge. Um, in quantum computing um, and quantum computing is also, it's not everywhere yet. So, you know, there are some hotspots. So we decided to invest in that company. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, so let, it's, me, uh, let so. me, let me test you of all your investments, you, you led yourself, which one are you the most proud of and where are they located? That's difficult. You have to ask me all your babies. You have to ask me again in five years because they're all like 
I started investing three years ago. So it's like I, I just invested, right? Um, but actually, three of the five are local. Okay. Uh, whether this is a coincidence or by on purpose, I cannot tell you. I think it's a coincidence. And the density of startups here is also pretty high, right? So it's a mix of both. Okay. And I'm proud of all of them. <laughs> very nice. Very good answer. You love all your babies. It makes sense. Um, so maybe you can walk me through what you think about the fact that Bosch Ventures has teams that are um, geo-focused. Is that mm -hmm. a good thing? Is that uh, something that could be improved? What do you think about CVCs, which are big like you, uh, needing to have geo-focus? Yeah, we decided to do it with a geographical focus because before COVID and since we are sometimes leading rounds and we are co-leading and we have board observer seats, we ask for board observer seat all, always. We probably never get it, not get it always, but we ask for it always. We want to be in the board meetings and we, we were appreciating to meet people in person. So that's why we chose to have this geography, geographical like split because if you are in Europe and we have two teams in Germany flying over to France, to Paris or to London or to go to Munich by train, it's very easy, very straightforward. You can do this within one day. Similar for us in North America, you can fly to the East Coast um, easily. It's a one, maybe at least as long as two day trip. Uh, we have one or we had one portfolio company in Singapore and one of our partners had to fly to the board meetings to Singapore, this was a bit of a burden and the time zone because, I mean, the overlap you have to talk to that startup like per day is like two hours or it's always the middle of the night for someone. And that's, that's simply still a burden because time zones are still there and they're probably not going away. So I think that's why it makes sense. Um, And I think it also makes sense to have some local representation because of like these hotspots, because of, you know, Silicon Valley, you, you leave the door, not talking COVID, you go to events, you bump into people. This happens in China and Shanghai as well. This happens in Israel. Um, and we have these local people who are also locally connected for deal flow, for picking brains, for getting, you know, a sense for trends, Um, early, earlier than the typical publications online. I think this all together makes it, I don't say necessarily, but makes it much, much easier to invest in the right startups if you have this local setup. But no, of course, you have, you, have to have, you have to be able to afford it. But because Bosch is a global company anyway, we have offices worldwide anyway, right? So this was kind of maybe easier for us. No, this makes sense. We had Francis Ho from Samsung Catalyst um, uh, two weeks ago, and he was talking about the fact that every new location is the logical next uh, location. So actually, this month, TDK Ventures is having a Boston presence opening. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, that's, uh, that's oh, happening. Cool. Uh, one question about, you mentioned that there is lead or co-lead. Is that a clear preference from you to have a lead or co-lead? Or is it just case by case you decide? Um, it depends. Um, 
if it's an area where we have, you know, also strong like feelings in terms of probably Bosch, Bosch experience or our own experience from the team, then we probably feel more comfortable leading. Um, if this is an area where we think this is very cool, a new area, but we are just not the experts, it's probably smarter not to lead. Um, again, we want the best for the startup, right? Um, and sometimes we, you know, we have some corp, we have some financial VCs, we know pretty well, we can, you know, we know that they have a strong overlap in terms of areas they are interested in. We invite them to co-lead because still it's perceived as more valuable if a financial VC is in the lead or in the co-lead and prices the round. It's still a perception thing. Um, I, I think that our team has enough experience to price the round as well, but as long as this is still the perception and now I'm like a broken record, then we are dealing with it and, and, it's, um, and then it's the best for the startup. It's a little bit different in Europe in comparison to here in US. Um, in Europe, RBVC, Robert Bosch Venture Capital is even stronger because um, VC money is not a big business like here. Um, and, and there, I think we are leading more rounds um, because we are also perceived to be stronger and it's more um, recognized um, and appreciated if we lead and price rounds. Okay, it's interesting to see the difference between US and Europe in this case. I mean, you have to face your challenges, right? I mean, here, if I introduce Bosch, then people are like, oh, the dishwashers. <laughs> if I'm lucky, if I'm not lucky, they say, oh, the contact lenses. And I'm like, no, that's Bausch yeah. and Lomp. Um, So, and in Germany or in Europe, everyone knows about Bosch because everyone has a cousin, an uncle, a friend, a mother or a sister working at Bosch. <laughs> yes, very, very different. Okay, that, that makes sense. Maybe another question is, um, you mentioned the investment committee is inside Bosch Ventures, so it's not related to, um, to the mothership directly. Can you talk about the size? Who is in it? Is it always the same people for every deal or is it geo-focused? How does that work? Now we are, we are one world by team. That's very clear. We have like two to three meetings with a worldwide team per week. This is unfortunately early for us in the morning and very late in the night for the Chinese team. Um, and we are still playing around with how we can make this like bearable for everyone. And so the worldwide team has a partner structure and they at, at the end vote on the deal. Um, and it's there's no original um, like um, 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 decision-making, um, but it's also important that we are not so large and you can see, you know, the size of the team, it's like 20 something people um, online. Um, also the others like the investment directors and the investment principals, we all have a say and we are all like motivated um, and, and entitled to, to ask the questions and the right questions and to say, whether what we like and what we don't like. Um, so I think it's it's pretty democratic, but at the end, yeah, someone has to say yay or nay. 
Um, and that's a world by team. I see. And so how many people have this NEOEA vote? It's, um, if you count, it's seven partners. Seven. And do you need the majority? Do you need 100%? Yeah, we have what is called majority minus one. So we, we, we can accept one now that the rest has to. Do you mean you need six out of seven or six three out of seven? Of... Yes, sorry, yeah. Oh, six out of seven. Oh, wow. That's a, a very high bar, right? It is. It is. Don't, yeah, tell me. <laughs> so, so out of, maybe this is secretive, so maybe you don't have to answer, but out of the investments that you've seen in the last three years, are they most of them seven out of seven or are they more six out of seven, the ones that have been approved? It's uh, that's pretty mixed. That's pretty like mixed. Okay. Now, How do you? And I mean, there are right? there are deals who are more. You know, there is more debates about, um, and there are deals who are which are seem to be more straightforward for everyone. But uh, we never make it easy. We 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 always make it. You know, we try to be as as picky as possible because we hope and we believe that this also improves the quality of the deals. We do eventually. It can't be easy if your proposal gets five votes out of seven. <laughs> that must be tough. Okay, very nice. And so um, maybe you can walk me through your last investment. Don't mention which one. Actually, choose one out of the ones you made, the five. Mm -hmm. um, what From end to end, so from the how you made them, all the way to building your proposal, getting it approved, and then the closing. And sometimes people think the closing is easy, but for a corporate VC, it's never that easy. So if you can walk me through end-to-end uh, -end an investment you made and how you presented it, how you get uh, the approval and how you closed it afterwards. Um, I mean, yeah, first of all, I mean, you meet, you meet the entrepreneur Um, and, and actually there's a, that's a very nice short story. I want to mention, we don't have enough time to make it lengthy. Um, I met the entrepreneur in a self-organized VC startup pitch event. I, I, I organized this together with a friend during the pandemic and to make it not too easy, we only selected female VCs and female entrepreneurs. Um, and the CEO was pitching and I was like, Well, if she wants to get this revenue this year or next year, I have to talk to her. So after this three minutes pitch, I talked to her again and I talked to her again and I pitched her startup and, and the idea and everything to, to our local team. We are four people to run it, you know. It's all about, in our team, it's all about running it with the others, with the other heads to, to gather as much collective, like, knowledge, brain, as possible right and then we of course we talked to Bosch about it we realized that there is a great strategic fit which I wasn't actually aware of um, because there are so many Bosch businesses that I have to admit I don't know all of them um, and and yeah and that's this was the beginning of the story and um, at some point We met the 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 CEO. Um, we met her also in a coffee shop in Palo Alto because she was in San Francisco. So we could at least meet once in person. Um, whether this was necessary or not, I don't I don't I don't judge it. But it was still nice to see her in person. Um, and finally, we invested. And I mean, this takes a little while. 
And actually, yeah, the, the hardest part was the, the last two weeks, <laughs> you know, with a corporate behind and, um, and it's, it's still, it's, it's totally feasible, but it's still a little bit challenging. Okay. And I don't know whether this answered your question. And maybe I, I should not double click on this, but maybe let me ask a question. Do you think that face-to-face meeting was important for you to have clearly it didn't change your mind but you think that it was important to have in case it could have changed your mind and the reason i'm asking is sometimes it's not in meetings that you can really judge people but it's outside like in a coffee shop how they interact with other people and so on why did you feel like you needed this face to face um i think for me personally it was not necessary Although, as I told you, it was different and I enjoyed it to meet her in person. Um, I think for the rest of the team and everyone, it made it a little bit more real. And this helped. Very nice. Yeah. I think, so what's interesting about TDK Ventures is our very first two investments, that was before COVID-19, before pandemic, we made the investments with only Zoom calls and access to the data room and not meeting face-to-face. So we actually oh, were... You were ahead of your time. Yes. Now, one thing I, I think is really nice for you to say, and I think it will probably remove guilt for many people who are in corporate venturing or thinking about it, is you've been in Bosch for 18 years, right? Yeah, 15 yeah. with... Yeah, 15 with... So, so the expectation is you would know everyone in this big company, or at least you would know what Bosch does. And that's not possible. It's such a big company, same for TDK, same for Intel, same for so many companies. And, and you need this link to this company and you have this advisory board that gives you more connections and so on. So I think it's really nice that you, you admit that you don't know everything in the mothership. And so it's a constant effort to make. And I think that's something which Maybe I can ask as a, one of the final questions is what, what do you recommend CVCs that are starting to make sure that they get as much value from the mothership and they really understand what's happening in the mothership? It's really, really hard. So what's your tips? My tip is actually also to talk to the right people in the mothership. And this is not only necessarily the right functional level, but also the right mindset. Um, and I think over time, I mean, we also have a journey over time, the corporation will also value the, 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 the importance of, of open innovation or outside innovation and puts the right people with the right mindset also in the right strategic positions for this, for open innovation. Um, because it's a lot about whether you, what I said in the beginning, whether you can talk startup, whether you can understand how fast they think and act and, and, and proceed. Um, and therefore, I think, yeah, having the right people with the right mindset in the right positions is very crucial. Also on the, on the, on the business area sites and making people, you know, like the management people aware how important this is um, I think it's crucial for success. 
Yeah, I can't agree more. I think the mindset is really important and what you've explained about you being entrepreneur first and really understanding what they need is very important. Would you have, I mean, if you interview these people that are thinking about joining, what kind of questions would you ask to make sure they really have the right mindset versus the wrong mindset? I never thought about that. It's it's less about asking them. It's more about their reaction to for example to talk to startups when i i have you know when, i mean i we we facilitate introductions right to the business units and when i see people from the business areas or from corporate research talking to the startup by watching them i can learn a lot about their internal about their mindset because if people want to tell you what you want to hear they tell you what you want to hear Okay, this is really, uh, really good, actually. And I agree with you. I think the way people act with the startups, especially some corporate VCs, uh, or even worse, probably financial VCs, because they give money, they feel like they should have control and they should be the ones deciding. But at the end, it's the entrepreneur creating the value. Yes. And if it's the combination of we have the money and we are the big boss, that's even worse in terms of, you know, the, the, the worst attitude you can have. doesn't mean you have to have it, but it, you know, there's a potential for, for very it. Very nice. Ivan, I want to thank you for, I think they were very candid answers. And I think a lot of the audience will be able to resonate with what you said. And what does that mean to help entrepreneurs? So I really want to thank you for your time today. Thank you, Nicolas. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.